Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is not an exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine one morning you wake up to find that across the world we've stopped burning fossil fuel. All the coal, gas, petrol and oil no longer in use. Lucky for me, I'm in Canberra, so as I get out of bed, the electricity is still running as it's renewable. But as we pull on our shoes for a run or head for the shower or go to the kitchen for breakfast, we do find ourselves wondering what the elements of our life are that are affected by this change. Quite quickly, we begin to see that there is a carbon footprint across so much of our lives. Clothes, toiletries, pharmaceuticals, food, furniture, etc., etc., etc. Carbon footprint from harvesting, from processing, manufacturing and transportation. For me, life without carbon footprint falls over at the coffee machine. Our coffee has a carbon cost. This climate impact is present across so much of our lives. Can we really address climate change without considering these emissions? Welcome to Policy Forum Pod. My name's Anna-Greta Hunter. I'm a cardiologist and the Human Futures Fellow for the College of Health and Medicine at the Australian National University. And I'm delighted to be in the studio today again with my co-host, Sharon Bessel. Hi, Anna-Greta. It's great to be here with you. I'm Sharon Bessel. I'm Professor of Public Policy here at the Crawford School of Public Policy. So Policy Forum Pod is produced by policyforum.net. We're part of the Crawford School of of Public Policy And the Crawford School is the Asia-Pacific's leading graduate policy school. You can check out the degree programs and the short courses that are available at crawford.anu.edu.au slash study. Sharon, it is great to be back with you virtually. And again, listeners, we should apologise in advance that we're recording remotely. We are still hoping to get back into a studio sometime as our lockdown conditions in the ACT are changing. But what are we going to talk about today? Well, I'm really excited about today's conversation, Aunty Greta, because we are talking about something that I know absolutely nothing about. And I must say, it's something that I'd not even heard of until we started talking about this pod, and that is Scope 3 Emissions. Now, Aunty Greta, you know something about this because you suggested that we should do a pod around this, and it's fascinating. 
So that that opening part is a game that I've called Turn the Tap Off, where we should play a game of imagination of what happens if we stop burning fossil fuel. And it's a really interesting game for us all to be playing in our own lives because it does get us thinking quite deeply about the carbon uh, footprint that's present really universally across all of the elements of our lives, the paper we use, the pens we use, the tables we sit at, the, uh, the bicycles that we ride, every element of our life, the food and the coffee particularly. So this episode is a continuation of our episodes on climate change, although it's a little bit different because we're not focusing on the COP26 conference that's been underway in Glasgow. We are, as I mentioned, recording remotely, and we are delighted to be joined by two remarkable guests here from the ACT. So, Sharon, would you like to introduce our two fantastic guests for today's episode? I would love to introduce them, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what they have to say. We have with us today Sophie Lewis. Sophie is ACT Commissioner for Sustainability and the Environment. Before she took on that role, she was Senior Lecturer and Climate Scientist at the University of New South Wales, also here in Canberra. She is currently a lead author on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, or one of the lead authors on the Sixth Assessment Report for the chapter on Weather and Climate Extremes in a Changing Climate. Sophie was named the ACT Scientist of the Year in 2019 in recognition of her research and particularly her work on weather extremes and how climate change contributes to extreme events such as heat waves, bushfires and droughts. Sophie, it is wonderful to have you with us today. Welcome. Thanks so much. With us today, we also have Joe Clay. Joe is the member for Ginandera in the Australian Capital Territories Legislative Assembly, and she was elected in 2020. Joe is the ACT Green spokesperson for transport, active travel, parks and conservation, for animal welfare, arts and culture, the circular economy, science and women. That is quite a broad portfolio that Joe holds. One of the the joys and challenges I think of being in a small jurisdiction. Joe is a lawyer, she's also a writer and artist and a businesswoman. She was the co-founder and CEO of a recycling company called Send and Shred and was the founder and author of the climate change project, The Carbon Diet. Joe, great to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we started today's pod by asking listeners to consider the carbon footprint that's present across most elements of their lives, things like food, clothes, the stuff of life. These emissions are called the Scope 3 emissions, and surprisingly we don't hear much about them in our climate debate. This is about to change as the ACT Office of Sustainability and Environment releases a report into Scope 3 greenhouse emissions in the ACT. This reports the first government assessment of Scope 3 emissions in Australia, and I can't find reports that are similar to this in a global context, so it may be a world first. So we think it makes a compelling reading, this report particularly, and I'm sure it's going to make for a great conversation. We should start, though, by defining what we're talking about. So perhaps, Sophie Lewis, as the Commissioner, you could tell us what Scope 1, Scope 2 and Scope 3 emissions are and perhaps explain to us why Scope 3 emissions might matter in addressing climate change. 
Yeah, thanks, Anna Greta. That's a great question. And I think a really big barrier for people understanding uh, what these scopes are and what greenhouse gas emissions are. So I think possibly the easiest way to think through these different categories, scope one, two, and three, is to go through an activity, a little bit like your turn the tap off. So let's just say we realise it's 3.30pm, you have to jump in the car to pick up the kids from school, Maybe you drop them at soccer practice or netball, rush to the shops to grab a few things to throw together a dinner, pile the kids back into the car and home. Maybe they watch some TV, have showers, sit down to eat. So if we pick apart that activity, the electricity for your lights, your TV, your heat pop, pop water, um, what's powering the school and Woolworths, that's all scope two. So anything that's supp supplied from our grid is scope two emissions. The emissions that come from running your car or the bus that got your kids to school in the first place, that's scope one. So we can see that that's everything that's occurring within the ACT, within Canberra, is scope one and two. But we know that's not even half the story. So let's think about the emissions to produce and transport your car into Canberra. What brought your TV here? The soccer ball and the kids' uniforms? Um, what went into growing the barbecue chicken? and the bread rolls that you picked up for dinner um, and what transported them into Canberra, what warehoused them before they went out for distribution. All of that, that huge amount of activity, that's all scope three. But then we've got to think about the bricks, the cement, the steel, the carpet, the couch, your kids' PJs, everything that went into your shower head, the tiles in your bathroom. So you can start to see that all of that adds up uh, to far more than what happened just turning on the light or running your car. So it's a, it makes for really interesting reading this report and we'll put, obviously put a link to the report in uh, the notes for the podcast. Sophie, when you've been looking at the carbon footprint for the ACT, how much does Scope 3 emissions matter? And it, perhaps you could give us some of the information, the headline parts of the report, thinking about carbon footprint for the ACT compared to other parts of Australia. So the report found that when we look at the total greenhouse gas emissions from the ACT, nearly 94% of those are from scope three. Only 6% are coming from scope one and scope two emissions. So they're still important. We're not trying to negate how important they are and efforts to reduce scope one and scope two, uh, which we're doing in the ACT. We have really ambitious targets for greenhouse gas reductions. They're still important, but they total about 6% of what's happening here. Uh, so we know that a huge amount of our emissions are coming from activities that occur outside the ACT, but because of our lives within the ACT. And in fact, our report has shown that the ACT has the second largest per person carbon footprint, but if we're looking just at the scope three, it's the largest. And that really speaks to the consumer nature of our lives in Canberra. We're not big primary producers. We don't have a big agriculture sector. We don't do much manufacturing, but we do consume a lot. We bring a lot in here. So it's a direct relationship with consumption. That's right. Joe, can, can I bring you in here? And I find this so interesting, not only because this is such a large part of our emissions, but because to be completely honest, I had not before heard of scope three emissions. So why is it, Joe, do you think that, that we hear so much less about scope three emissions than all of the other sources that we hear about and, and, and on which there is understandably such focus? Yeah, sure. Look, it's a really good question. I think what's happened is regular human beings, when they think about their carbon footprint or their environmental impact, 
just think in ordinary terms and we have this sort of basic understanding that, you know, everything matters and everything has an impact. But what's happened with climate over many years is we've got we've got this international framework for very good reasons, IPCC framework about how we report, and we've had governments signing up to various commitments. And we've got this structure of what we think governments should be looking at. And for some strange reason, governments have really only ever committed to be looking at scope one and scope two. Now, the conversation has moved along, I think. If you were trying to talk about this 10 years ago, or maybe even five years ago, it would have been really hard to move things along. But what we found is companies now understand companies, businesses have to report on their emissions and they're not required to do scope three, but they understand it and many of them choose to. If you ask an ordinary person about their climate footprint, most of them will probably rattle off. They won't use these words, scope one, scope two, scope three, but they'll probably start talking about some things that in fact are scope three. They'll probably start talking about oh, you know, maybe I should eat less meat or, you know, I'm a bit worried about flights or I know I know, fast fashion is a bit of a problem. And all of the things that occur to them, they, they might start with electricity or fossil fuel, everybody understands this, but they're probably quite likely to quickly move into what is, in actual fact, the general consumption of life. So I think we got slightly stuck where we started And I think it's actually a really, really good time for governments, particularly progressive governments, to be moving the conversation along. And Joe, how do we begin to to have those conversations and how do we start thinking about the ways that we can reduce scope three emissions? Look, I'm I'm in politics now, but I'm a very new politician and I am not speaking on behalf of the SG government. I'm on the crossbench. Um, But before I entered politics, I ran a climate project called The Carbon Diet. And in actual fact, what I was doing was often measuring scope three emissions and talking about it. So I've, I've got a little bit of understanding about this. I think every single conversation about environmental impact has to start with good information. I'd like to say data, but people sort of shut down when you start talking in numbers, but you've got to start with really good information. So I'm super excited. AC government commissioned this report uh, that, that, it, that has been tabled. I think that's a great way to start. We've got to start with really good, solid information and a targeted understanding of where the big problems are. And then we need to start a, a discussion about what really matters in our lives and what doesn't. And that, it's going to take a bit of time because this is new, right? Like we've been working on fossil fuels in the ACT for a really long time. But I remember back in 2010 hearing politicians say we're going to be we're going to be 100% renewables by 2020. And it seemed absolutely crazy at the time. That's only 10 years ago. So the pace of change can be quite fast. But you actually need to start with the right information and you need to start a conversation first so that everybody's on the same page, I think. So it is going to be an interesting conversation that comes from this report. And I, I, you know, I'm really excited to see the way in which we embrace this as a community. One of the things I found interesting in the report was the way that it lays out the carbon footprint of different types of food. At the top of the list, you can see things, uh, foods like beef and lamb uh, as having particularly large carbon footprints per kilo of food and fruit and vegetables are further down that list. But what came as slightly depressing and surprising, perhaps, are foods that like cheese, chocolate and coffee, which were really far up the list. And as I mentioned at the beginning, coffee is my carbon weakness, even above foods like pork and poultry. Sophie, can you tell us about the journey that some of these foods go through and why they have such a higher carbon footprint? Um, Yeah, so the report did focus quite a bit on food and we looked at um, various aspects of food. So food waste and reduction in food waste. Also what we do with scraps, so food and organics and 
diverting names out of landfill. But we also did look at different food groups and what was the carbon footprint associated with those. And some of that wasn't surprising, like you said, that um, beef and red meat has quite a high carbon footprint compared to a lot of plant-based foods, fruit and vegetables. And there's lots of reasons that various foods have different footprints. We did our best to kind of pull that data together and to provide general information. So it depends on precisely how food is grown and where it's grown. But what we found was that uh, a lot of that comes from land and land use change. So when we clear land, uh, that's associated with uh, carbon emissions. The introduction of herbicides or pesticides, energy required to run farm machinery uh, for animal feed, and a big one for the red meat is the ruminants, so the actual release of greenhouse gases from the digestion from some of these animals. Uh, and then we have to add in the transportation, warehousing, processing and retail of food. So all of those different ingredients go into the carbon footprint of a specific food group. And we can start to see why things like uh, coffee or chocolate might have a bigger footprint than some of the uh, lo more locally grown, uh, simpler fruit and vegetables. We really tried in this report not to be prescriptive about what foods were best and to understand that um, although information about the carbon footprint of food is really empowering, it's just one element of why we choose foods. So there's various other factors that go into the environment and sustainability footprint of food beyond just carbon. There's also the importance of different uh, agricultural products to economy. We know that people have different health needs. People have different cultural and religious relationships to food. So the idea here was to present that information so that people could see what food they were consuming. Uh, and like you did, Anna Greta, say, wow, coffee and chocolate actually has quite a lot. Oh, that's actually a really important product in my life. So maybe I'll look at other places where I might be making cuts. I must say, as I'm hearing this conversation and reflecting on having read the report, I was feeling very smug about the fact that I'm a vegetarian and thinking, well, there you go. But the, the chocolate and the cheese part of the report, I found very confronting and I'm reflecting on my obsession with shoes. So, you know, it does make us think about our lives. And Joe, you made that really fundamental point, I think, that we need to think about what it is that really matters in our lives um, and how we make some of these choices and decisions. How important is it to, to bring about sort of cultural change for consumers around issues like the carbon footprint for food and, and for other things? How do we start to, to have that conversation about what really matters and what role do governments have to play in leading that kind of, of conversation and the kinds of cultural shifts that might need to accompany those conversations? Sure. Well, I think every cultural shift begins with truth. And I think the first best role for a government to play is to be honest, table information, have a, have a genuine and honest conversation. And I think uh, it's, it's hard to predict. You, you can't look too far in the future about what that will mean I'm really excited about the food conversation. I've been doing that myself for a while. I did it in my project and it's interesting because I run in fairly green circles. Some of the conclusions you find are delightful and obvious. So, you know, cutting food waste. I've never met a human being on the planet who thinks we should waste more food. It's such an obvious thing. Clearly, we're going to put more resources into cutting food waste. But then there are some other uncomfortable things. I know a lot of vegetarians and they really don't like thinking about the fact that dairy 
has quite a high impact. I think we do need to to actually have a have an honest conversation. And then it's it's partly about cutting out the junk in our lives. If I what I what I think from personal experience, having run this project on the average Australian and my own footprint, and then having sort of worked in a lot of different sustainability areas, and then looking at it in the government perspective now, I reckon you can cut anything in half pretty easily just by looking at it. What we'll find once we've started these conversations, there'll be some really easy wins that everybody is on board with. And then it'll be a bit like the conversation we've had to have with transport. One solution is not going to fit everybody, and that's not the point. It'll be about coming up with lots of different options that are really good ways to cut our impact. And so there's lots of different packages that will suit different people. And it's the community themselves will put that together for us. If, if we are really honest and upfront about the information and how we do it. The other thing that really excites me is if we don't know truth, uh, we can't do anything about it. There's a lot of really interesting, we can't fix all our problems with technology. I uh, certainly wouldn't say that. I'm not going to be one of those politicians. But there's a lot of, until you put some numbers on the magnitude of something, you don't really have any incentive to fix it. So I'm really interested. I'm always interested in what the beef industry is saying about the developments they're making uh, to reduce methane emissions from cattle and from lamb. I'm slightly cynical about claims, but I'm really excited to see them hit the shelf. And I think it's really good to get this information out there because it gives entrepreneurs and industry and consumers and everybody a really big incentive to say, here's this thing that I love. I really love it. It's really high impact. How can we do this better? So I think that's one of the really big opportunities in this sort of conversation. And that's where renewables came from. Nobody, nobody said, oh, we need to, you know, stop using electricity and turn everything off tomorrow. They said, well, how do we, how do we do this better? And look where we are. I think that's such a good point you make, Joe, about the information being so empowering. And I think that's something that could, you know, essentially be comforting to you, Sharon. You said how much you love cheese and shoes. So I think in terms of that information, it's then translating that into cheese and shoes are really valuable. So they're valuable to you because of how much meaning they have to you, but also in terms of what goes into them. They might not have much monetary value, depending on where you buy your cheese, but in terms of all the resources and energy that has gone into that from both the human and the environmental perspective, that's a really valuable product. So enjoy that and don't waste it's chocolate too, Sophie. I have to confess, there are a number of failings that we're talking about here. But <laughs> I'm with Anna Greta on the coffee, but I feel very smug because I have the black coffee. But I, I think, you know, that it's, it's such an important point that, that you both make about the importance of truth and information and then being able to make informed decisions because, you know, for me personally, maybe cheese doesn't actually matter in my life as much as safeguarding other things like our planet. And I think when we do have the information and we have the knowledge, we're better able to decide what matters and why and to make those choices. And it is exciting, I think that we can start to have those conversations now and there's a reception for those those conversations. I think that's a, a good point for us to take a quick break. We won't have a coffee break, Anna Greta, just a glass of water for now and listeners will be back in just a moment to continue this conversation with Sophie and Joe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems, and people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. Listeners, welcome back. We're here with Sophie Lewis and Joe Clay, and we're talking about a new report that's just been released by, uh, commissioned by the Territory Government uh, in the ACT, looking at the Scope 3 emissions. Before the break, we were talking about the carbon footprint of food, but this is a small part, or it's, it's not a small part, but it's only part of our Scope 3 emissions. There are other elements to this. Construction and infrastructure and waste management have also been identified in the report as important parts of our Scope 3 emission. Sophie, can you tell us about construction and infrastructure and the role that it plays in our Scope 3 emissions picture? And what can we might be able to do about that? So the construction and infrastructure industry contributes a lot to our carbon footprint overall. So not just Scope 3, but uh, nearly a fifth of Australia's carbon footprint is derived from construction. And we know that steel and cement products uh, constitute quite a large part of that. So the report that we've published looks at the construction industry and materials in the ACT to pick that apart and see where those scope three emissions are coming from and what we can do about that. And what we find is that part of that is from these materials. Uh, So say we're talking about a residential construction, uh, so housing in the ACT, we find that there's a real focus on operational efficiency. So by that, I mean, we build a house and we give it a rating and we say it takes a lot uh, or not very much electricity to run that house to keep it warm or to keep it cold. But that completely discounts scope three emissions. So that's not looking at the emissions that have gone into building the house. So into the concrete, into the bricks, into the steel, into the frame of that house. And what we're finding is that we're really over-focused on operational efficiency and we're not paying any attention to the embodied carbon in those houses. So we looked at housing, we looked at construction in terms of major projects in the ACT and we've come up with a bunch of recommendations and some of that really starts with rethinking how we value these materials. So if we're looking at housing Do we need to knock down and rebuild a house or can we retrofit or renovate a house in the first place? So it's really about valuing materials and what we're doing with them. But it's also about uh, looking at the supply chains and the energy that goes into cement and steel and looking at whether there are low carbon alternatives and whether we can start to incentivize the use of those. Joe, we mentioned in the introduction that you're the ACT Green spokesperson for the circular economy. And I think these ideas around a circular economy are so incredibly exciting. And this is where I think we can start to have some optimism about ways of moving forward. But can you perhaps explain to us what the concept of a circular economy is and just why it is so important when we're thinking about emissions generally, but scope three emissions particularly? Absolutely. I'd love to. 
we need to think in circles. This is a podcast, so for some reason I'm holding up my hands in a circle because that's just what you do. I, I really like talking about the circular economy. I used to work in the recycling industry for a decade and I ran a recycling company. I'm sort of quite used to thinking in circles in the waste field. But in actual fact, when you start looking at all aspects of sustainability, the circular economy really means that we keep reusing, recycling, repurposing all of our natural resources and they keep spiraling around. And you can actually apply it to any area of our footprint on the planet. And it's it, it's actually what the concept of sustainability means. It's, I, I find it interesting often we have these words that have lost their natural meaning through repetition and people talk about sustainable development or sustainable design and they don't actually mean sustainable in terms of my grandchildren's 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 grandchildren could do this thing the same way that I am doing it right now and the planet would still be okay what they mean is it's slightly less bad than that other very bad thing over there so when you're talking about the circular economy for for recycling for waste and I'm, I'm really excited to hear Sophie talking about our construction and demolition and buildings we have this weird situation in Canberra right now where we we measure and we find it really important the the emissions that are coming from our landfill so we know that putting food and organic waste into landfill is a bad thing and we're working really hard we're setting up a new recycling plant to make sure we stop doing that which is awesome but we haven't yet really put a value or started measuring the embedded emissions that went into all the concrete and all the building materials in a great big building which is much 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 more significant and because if that stuff goes to landfill it doesn't break down doesn't cause methane we sort of think oh that's that's neutral that doesn't have a climate impact it has a huge climate impact the energy that went into creating that stuff in the first place is massive and i think some i think there is a it's really good time for governments to be wading into this there are some parts of the world where for instance they have these really quite sophisticated building reuse policies and they they, they say no more demolitions. You've got to start dismantling things brick by brick so that you can reuse bits. There's, you know, lots of little local councils and little areas around are starting to think about this. And you wouldn't obviously make that change overnight. This is a, a very, this is a, a new way of thinking about it. But that the notion that we simply don't value and don't count this huge amount of energy and resources. We can't think that way anymore. We've got we've got to think about the whole circle. Where did it come from? Where's it going? What happens to it next? And how do I get back to the start of the circle again? And that's what a genuine circular economy means. Joe, it's so interesting and it's it's really exciting to hear about some of those innovations that are taking place elsewhere in the world, you know, for example, around dismantling rather than demolishing houses. In Australia, we've still got some distance to go before we, we get to that kind of practice. What kind of measures do you think we need to see in the short term or the immediate term, but also perhaps over the longer term? in Australia to encourage more sustainable practices around the idea of a circular economy and not just in the ACT, but right across the country? And what, what do we need to be doing immediately and then into the longer term? Honestly, immediately is start counting it. This is why I'm so excited to see this report come out. We will have to run very fast and talk very quickly to work out what we do with this information. But the very first thing we need to do is start counting it. What we have at the moment is because we're only measuring and and uh, only really understanding a, a part of the picture, we haven't really we've, – we've got all these excellent incentives to deal with this tiny little slice of the circle, 
And sometimes sometimes they have the wrong impacts on the rest of the circle. You actually don't know until you start talking about everything that you're doing. So honestly, I think we're still with this sort of stuff. I think we're still at the information gathering stage. We've we've already made quite a few changes to buildings and construction in the ACT this term, and it's been a bit of a wild ride dealing with that sector. We've we've brought in some uh, new standards on universal accessibility at the national level, and we're working quite hard. There's a lot of national building codes. You need to change some things nationally before you can change them locally. We're, we're sort of working quite hard on that. We haven't really started tackling the picture on on this of scope three emissions, and I think it's a really good idea to start because it takes some time to bring them in. Sophie, as part of the project, you would have looked at the international landscape of Scope 3, and I'm just wondering whether whether there are global experiences that we can draw on when we're we're beginning to process this information uh, in the ACT or uh, if we're looking towards further policy impact nationally around Australia. So what's been the international experience in this space? Yeah, we don't actually have much information we can provide on that and that's in part because this is a highly innovative report so as far as we understand as you mentioned this hasn't been done for any other jurisdiction uh, as far as we understand internationally so we know that corporations are reporting on their scope one and two inventories and some on their scope three uh, but beyond companies, I don't believe there's any other state or city that is reporting on their scope three emissions. So in terms of the information that we took from uh, other places and what could be used, that was more in terms of uh, targeted initiatives. So not scope three overall, but in terms of um, what information can we take that's worked elsewhere for reducing food waste, for our uh, food and uh, organics, garden organics program, what's being done in construction and infrastructure elsewhere, uh, how can we provide information to uh, households in terms of their footprint. And another one was really around business practice. So some of the recommendations we make in our report are for the ACT government to look at the scope three emissions that occur from the government undertaking their own operations. So we started to look at um, what are emissions resulting from business activities, things like flights, transport, uh, office dwellings uh, and property rentals. And then we tried to get information about uh, what is something that we can be doing to reduce those emissions while also providing healthy and happy workplaces. So it wasn't so much what is being done by way of scope three emission reductions elsewhere. It's more what are good things that are being done elsewhere that can inform us that also have that benefit of reducing scope three emissions. And and have you had much uh, interaction with the other state and territories uh, around Australia? Do you think that this Scope 3 work will become a national phenomenon? Are we expecting our federal government to take on Scope 3 emissions soon? Uh, I would hope so, but I'm not particularly optimistic about that. Um, And that's um, in part because these emissions, Scope 3, are not reported. So we know at the moment that um, we're waiting to hear what the outcome is of the Glasgow Conference of the Parties. And the discussion there is around jurisdiction scope one and scope two emissions. They're the pledges that are going to be made. Uh, Scope three emissions aren't reported by any jurisdiction, and that's part of the UNFCCC framework. Um, But what we're demonstrating is that these scope three emissions are our responsibility. They relate to 
the emissions that go into us living our lifestyles and we have to take responsibility for them. They're not other people's scope one and scope two emissions. They're part of us living these beautiful lives we have in the ACT and there's a lot that we can be doing to reduce them. We can't wait for other jurisdictions to reduce their scope one and two emissions and us have the follow-on benefit of our scope three going down. We really have to take responsibility to reduce those emissions, to look at procuring goods and materials from places that do rely on green energy rather than dirty coal. So I hope that this can be providing information to other places that they can use and run with that momentum. So that that raises a really interesting issue about where we buy our stuff from and what's happening in other parts of the world. And it's making me thinking I think about issues like a carbon border adjustment. And that leads me to wonder about whether a carbon tax may have a role in addressing scope three emissions. Joe, did you have any thoughts about that? I'll have to be careful how I how I speak about this one. The uh, the old carbon taxes brought down. Can we can we talk about carbon tax? We can talk about anything. Yeah. Look, we had we had a carbon price briefly at the federal level in Australia, and emissions dropped. Um, it didn't last for long. Interestingly, the ACT has introduced social cost of carbon. Um, our emissions reduction minister Rattenbury has pitched that. That is, that's actually um, cost per ton of carbon, and it's only applying to government operations. And it's very early days in this. They're still working up. It, it, this is, this is introduced, they're still working up exactly what it looks like and how it will be applied. But that is the start of the conversation of charging directorates, uh, charging departments for how much, uh, how many tons of carbon they produce, which of course gives them a, an automatic incentive to reduce that. So it's, it's a sort of a price on carbon at one level. I think it's really interesting. I've got to say, having done a lot of work prior to this role on on measuring, just just like Sophie's done. Sophie's done it much more professionally than me, but trying to measure and gauge the carbon in everything, in you know, from bananas to air flights, it is painstaking. And the three years I spent on that project, I just thought, gosh, wouldn't it be better if 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 some big fairy godmother came along and just put a price on all of this and it would just happen automatically. It certainly does seem like an interesting way to go. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's Australia at the federal level has to work out how we're going to deal with climate change in a sensible and genuine way. And I think until that happens, what we're seeing at the moment is we're seeing states like ours, councils, individual households, people get very worried about their ethical consumption. I think it's admirable that I get angry that everybody feels like they have to solve this problem by themselves and, you know, ethical businesses doing everything they can to try and do it, do this by themselves. And I think it would be a lot easier and more effective if we had some genuine national leadership helping us with this a little bit. Sophie Lewis and Joe Clay, this has been such a fascinating conversation. We're going to have to start to draw this to a close, but I do hope that you will both come back in to the future, maybe next year, to talk about how this is all tracking and and how we can perhaps continue to provide a model for what else for what can happen elsewhere around Australia, but also around the world, but also learn from what's happening elsewhere. But as we draw this conversation to a close, we always like to ask our guests uh, one question about their policy recommendations. Today we wanted to make that a two-part question. So a question to, to both of you. 
The first is, what's the number one piece of advice that you would give to policymakers outside the ACT about tracking and reducing scope three emissions? And the second part of that question is, how can all of us as individuals start to to make a contribution to reducing our own carbon footprint? I think taking on board, Joe, that really important point that you made, that this isn't something that individuals can solve alone or should feel that they must try to solve alone. Um, but is there advice that that you can can give individuals? Um, Sophie, perhaps we could start with you on on that. Your advice to policymakers and what we can each be doing. Yeah, so I think I'll start with us as individuals, and I completely agree. I think there's no value in us feeling guilty about the lives that we're living, and I I don't think that we should be doing that. We're not solely responsible for what's occurring in terms of climate change, but we do have a lot of power in terms of how we spend our money. And I think being aware of the value of what we're buying and how we're doing that and the corporations we're interacting with is really powerful. So I'd encourage people to feel like they have decisions and they have the power to have less impact on climate. Uh, In terms of policymakers, I think being aware of the enormous slice of the carbon footprint that is scope three and recognising that that is our responsibility, that we can't deny that, and that we really need to start measuring, reporting on scope three and providing sufficient financial information that we can calculate those scope three emissions is critical and it must be done sooner rather than later. And Joe, what are your thoughts? I'll start with policy. I think ask the right questions and don't be afraid of the answers is the single best thing you can do to make new policy. And then I'll tell a little story. I suggested to my partner many years ago that we should go vegan because it was the right thing to do. Didn't want to. Massive headness, love steak. But, you know, just all the stars aligned, that's right way to eat he said no he was going to cook for himself and I could go vegan and I asked him what he was going to cook and he said he'd just grill up a steak every night so if I'd gone vegan my household footprint actually would have gone up um and I it it was my first little entree into actually genuinely looking at when you when you're talking about behavior change this is why it the conversation matters we now have this beautifully agreed family lifestyle for me, him and our daughter, and we eat vegan and vegetarian during the week. We eat meat on the weekends. We have steak once a month. Everybody's happy. Everybody eats together. Whole footprints come down. It's not an easy comms thing. I can't, you know, march in and say, I'm vegan, aren't I great? But it, it, it's actually an easier change to make. So I think these, these, you, you need to have the full conversation and then see what the impact is. But you need to do it intelligently with the right information or you're just not making the right choices. Sophie Lewis and Joe Clay, what a great conversation. I think everybody should go out and read this report. It's the most interesting report from a government organisation in a long time, and and I do tend to read them occasionally. It will change how we think about climate change in Australia. It certainly should change how we think both here and internationally. So uh, thank you so much for the conversation today, and I, I really look forward to continuing it. Sharon, wasn't that a great conversation? Scope 3 emissions, something that you mentioned at the beginning you haven't heard very much about before, and now I think you're going to find yourself thinking about quite a lot more. What were your impressions of this conversation? I'm going to be thinking about this a lot more, Anna Greta. I'm particularly going to be thinking about my shoes, cheese and chocolate. But I I loved that conversation. And 
what for me was so exciting about that was I knew nothing about this when we first started this conversation. And Sophie and Joe did such a beautiful job of explaining what scope three emissions are and of talking through the issues. And so, you know, that's, there's, there's such a, a an ex- feeling of, of learning when one hears that kind of conversation. So it was a real privilege to be part of it. But, you know, Anna Greta, I've also been sort of joining some dots together of the things that we've been talking about on the pod over the course of this year. And a, a couple of things struck me. You know, early in this year, Anna Greta, we had our series on leadership and it, it just strikes me again and again as we've been talking about COP, as I've been watching the news and particularly watching reports of Australia's position at COP on how much we need leadership on these issues and how important ethical, courageous leadership is. And so I kept thinking back to those episodes that, that we recorded earlier in the year. But Anna Greta, I've also been reflecting on our work miniseries and joining some of the dots between the issues that we were talking about then and this issue of scope three emissions and and particularly because scope three emissions are just ever present in our lives. And I was thinking about the way in which those scope three emissions are so closely related to global value chains. And of course, it's in global value chains that we see serious concerns about workers' rights and about the absence of social protection. And the 4 billion people around the world without social protection that Shara Razavi spoke about in that work miniseries are often those who live in low-income countries and are engaged at the lowest point and the most insecure point of those global value chains. So I think here we've got really serious issues around environmental or ecological justice and around social justice. And and this episode just really prompted me to think about that. And it also prompted me to think about some of the things we were talking about during the work miniseries about changing the ways we work and live and changing the things that we value. And, you know, we have our hashtag around value caring. But if we start to think differently about the, the, the way we live our lives and what we prioritise, it struck me as I listened to Joe and Sophie that we also start to think differently about what we consume, about how much we need to earn, how much we need to work. And some pieces really start to fall into place about how we can address some of these really challenging issues and perhaps change the world for good in doing so. But I don't know, am I, am I making too many connections and, and, and waxing a little too lyrical here, Anna Greta? No, Sharon, I think you've just done a superb job of the, tying together some of the threads we've had weaving through our series this year. Um, and what you've done is articulate the reasons why so many of us find working in climate change and thinking about climate change is a tremendously inspiring area to work in from a policy perspective, because we really can address a number of the challenges that cause suffering, illness, disadvantage, and environmental degradation at the same time. It, it really is, it's a remarkable place to be working. And I think we can't disconnect those different forms of justice from one another. Mm. No, we, we need to keep those connections mm. and to think about how we resolve these challenges together rather than one or the other. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this was, I think, a really important discussion. I'm sure that uh, many of us will be thinking much more about Scope 3 emissions in the months and the years ahead. I'm so proud of the ACT government for putting this report together or for backing the development of this report, a world first for governments thinking in this space. And it gives all of us as community members an opportunity to reflect on the roles that we play and the ways in which we can combat uh, the challenge of climate change. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast episode. We love hearing your feedback. You can reach out to us on social media with Twitter at APPS Policy Forum, or you can email us directly at podcast at policyforum.net. We have a Facebook group that you can join by typing Policy Forum Pod into the search bar and joining in to a quite active discussion. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast. We read our reviews and take them seriously. And if you'd like to get in touch with us directly, we we really do respond to the feedback. We are continuing this conversation around climate change in the weeks ahead that we have before the end of the year. And we're very much looking forward to continuing the discussion next week. So it's bye-bye from me for now, Anna Greta Hunter. And from me, Sharon Bessel, it's bye-bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.